Holiness is a kind of really strange word. You don't wear a shirt saying, I am holy. And if someone comes up to you, this did once happen to me. I was working on a farm, actually driving a tractor. And at lunch break, when you take out your piece and your cup of tea, your flask of tea, one of the guys came up to me and said, hey, Davey, you're awful holy, eh? Now, that was a great commendation for going in for the Free Church College, but I wondered what he meant by it. And I said, what do you mean I'm holy? And he says, oh, you don't swear. And he says, you never join in any of our dirty jokes. And he said, I've seen you. He said, I see what you do at lunchtime. He says, you've got a black book in there, and I'll bet you it's a Bible. <laughs> and that's true, because I didn't get up in the morning in time. I wasn't very holy. I didn't get up in the morning in time to read the Bible, so I always took a wee pocket Bible to work. And when I got a wee break, I, I would... I'd read a wee bit. But I thought it was very interesting, his, his idea of what holiness was. And it can be a very, very negative idea. And, and I hope that as we look at this, you'll see that it's not. Let's go on to the next one, please, Stephen. Okay. What is sanctification or holiness? We'll just go through these, and um, you can think about them for yourselves. Number one is it's the root meaning of the word. It does mean separation. Now, that can be used in a bad way. But it does mean that you are set apart for holiness. When you look at the way that the word is used in the Old Testament, if a, uh, something in the temple was described as holy, it was set apart for God. And when Christians are described as the holy ones, that's what it means. It means that we are set apart for God. Now, that can be completely misunderstood. I'm going to say a little bit more about this later, but I was, had the great privilege of being at the UCCF day yesterday. What was it called? The Go. The Go Day. So I didn't even know what it was called. Um, and I really, really uh, enjoyed it. I managed, I think, to insult everybody in the room within about five minutes when we began the seminar, so it was fairly safe. But there was one lady afterwards came up to speak to me, and she was very, very concerned about one aspect of what had been said. And and rightly so, and we had a good talk together. But we were just talking about this, partly about the idea of, can you protect your children from the world? Can you stop them being polluted by the world? And the answer is no, you can't. If you went and lived in a, this is a horrible idea, but if you went and lived in a free church monastery, or a Church of Scotland monastery, or, you know, went in a desert island somewhere, and, or Rasse, or somewhere like that, and it was only church people who were there, and you might say, well, that's it. We'll never have any bad influences. Yes, you will, because there's badness and there's evil within. That's the problem. That's the difficulty. So the question then becomes, how, do we, how are we set apart for holiness? But it's a, it's a really important idea. It, it does, the idea of separation is important. We're separate from evil and separated for God. Number two, it's spiritual. Holiness is something that is spiritual. It is from the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1 verse 2, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work, in other words, that only God can really do. When someone says, oh, you're awful holy, they don't really mean. They're, they're, I don't think they're seeing what God is doing. Holiness is actually quite frightening in some ways because it's God's Spirit working so deep in your life, changing you. And, and turning you into something that, that's, that's very different, perhaps, from what you were before. That's why the third thing there is, or it should be, yep, yeah, it is, it's deep. It's very, very deep. 
Uh, it lies in the heart. First Peter 3 verse 4 talks about your inner self. Psalm 51 and verse 6 talks about being cleansed in the heart. It's something we, we do tend to think of holiness as external. So, for example, um, what color would you associate with holiness? Black, says Stephen. Now, you see, we've got two cultures here, because Stephen says black, and Callum said white, you see? So, the Presbyterians are over here. <laughs> no, but both are correct. I mean, you do consider black to be a, a holy, some people consider black to be a holy color. I heard a man giving his testimony, and this is what he said. He said, after he was converted, he got himself a black coat so that people would know he was converted. Now, black is always in. Black is never, ever out. Go for black, that's fine. But the idea, I don't know how black got to be associated with holiness. And then white, yeah, you could associate white with holiness at one level, but can you imagine if I came in here dressed in a white, I used to have a cream evangelist suit, you know, it was awful. And I have to tell you what happened to it. My good lady, who was not married to me, told my best friend, David Meredith, that she didn't like it. And this is true. As I was moving house from 5 Iona Street in Edinburgh, David was helping, and I believe actually Annabel was there, and Annabel said, I hate that suit as it came out. And there was a rubbish lorry passed, and he threw it in the back of the rubbish lorry. And that's the last I saw of my white cream American evangelist suit, so you'd be thankful. I couldn't fit in it now, anyway, but you'd be thankful for it. But people have this idea of, of you know, you can, holiness being associated with different things. There was a church in America that would not allow you, a whole denomination, a Pentecostal denomination, believe it or not, that would not allow you to have a red car. If you had a red car, it was a sign that you weren't holy. I have no idea why they thought that. But all of these things are very, very, very superficial. You get someone say, oh, he's got a very holy look. Now, what does that mean? Holiness is something that's deep, that lies in the heart. And sometimes you can meet people whose external appearance, you look at them and you go, where are they from and what are they like? And then when you get to know them, you realize there's a deep God-likeness within them and a deep holiness within them. Fourth thing about holiness is it affects absolutely everything. It is spirit, body, and mind. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, let me just read that to you. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Holiness is the spirit. Holiness is the body. Holiness is the mind. You don't say, well, I'm a very holy person. I'm reading a, a book just now about, um, written in the second century about heresies. And there were a group of people then who thought, what you did with your body didn't matter it's what you were in your spirit that counted. And this book, which is entitled Against Heresies, says, no, holiness affects every part of your life, and it's as much to do with your body as it is with your spirit, as it is with your mind. Number five, holiness is beautiful. Psalm 100 and ver verse 3, the beauty of holiness. Now, you see, there are people, even Christians, there are some Christians who think along this line. They think, yeah, I'd like to be holy, but I'd also like to be nice, and I'd like to be lovely, and I'd like to be beautiful. Holiness is inherently attractive. It's actually inherently repellent 
for those who don't seek holiness, but for those who love the Lord, there's something about holiness that re- and, and sanctification that just shines through you. And I use sanctification and holiness are the same term. They're synonymous, really. But if you really want to be beautiful, may the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, then we need holiness. And holiness is progressive. Now, we looked a, uh, a couple of weeks ago at justification. And justification is not progressive. You can't, you're not justified and then a bit further on you're more justified and a bit further on you're more justified or you backslide and you're less justified. You're justified once for all. You're made right with God once for all. You can't be partly justified. However, you can be partially sanctified. Second uh, Corinthians seven one. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. I think it's an absolutely wonderful thought that you can't be more right with God as a Christian. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you're wrong with God. But if you are a Christian, you cannot be more right with God in heaven than you are now on earth. Because you are justified by what Christ has done. We are justified by faith in Jesus alone. However, we are not yet what we are going to be. Some Murdo will forgive me for saying this, but I always, when I ask Murdo, how are you? He says, I'm fine, but I'll be better yet. Well, he's right. Absolutely. That is very much the correct answer. So that will now be the greeting that we all have with one another. I'm fine, but I'll be better yet. Because... We have so much to grow in. We have so much to become more Christ-like. We can be more holy. There's a heresy that goes around that's where people talk about reaching total sanctification and total holiness. And I remember one of my professors, Douglas McMillan, in the Free Church College, when he was talking about this, he said he was at a college where there were some people who taught that. And um, one person went along and saw a man who claimed to be perfectly holy. He'd reached it. He'd had not just the second blessing, but the third, fourth, fifth blessings. But anyway, he was there. And um, this man saw the fellow who was claiming this. And for some reason, he was scrubbing the floor. I don't know they got him to do. It was a weird kind of college. They got him to do some kind of discipline where they had to scrub the floor. And he'd scrubbed this whole corridor. And he went along, and he saw the bucket, and he just tipped over the whole bucket full of dirty water along the corridor. And he said that sorted out his claim to perfect holiness because his response was not exactly in language becoming of a Christian. And his attitude was not that. We, we, you are kidding yourself if you think you've made it. We have the holiness, sanctification is progressive. Okay, let's go on to the next one, please. What sanctification is not? Let me, maybe I should have done this first, but There are four things that sanctification is not, and and it's important because it helps us understand what it is. It's not moralism. Now, we have to fight against this all the time. Moralism is when we're relying on ourselves or for doing good, and we look down on other people because they're not quite as good as us. A moral person has secret antipathy against grace. He hates vice, and he hates grace as much as vice. Now, that's very important. I'm going to repeat that again. A moral person has secret antipathy against grace. I mean, he's not going to publicly say, I'm against grace. 
He hates vice. He'll say, I'm against sin, I'm against adultery, I'm against swearing, I'm against drunkenness. And what a, um, when I mentioned this morning about the breakup of family and so on, say, oh, I'm against all that. But a moralist person, someone who's not relying on the grace of Jesus Christ, hates grace because what grace does, grace seems to put them down to the level as everybody else, or it seems to elevate other people above them. And that's a very, very interesting and important distinctive, that a moralist hates grace as much as vice. My, probably my most um, direct experience of that kind of thing, apart from what I do myself, which it's very easy for me to be moralistic, was a lady in Oban whose door we knocked on and she said, oh, it's great to have you here. She knew we were doing a kind of mission in the town. She said, it's great. You're doing all this with all the drug addicts and all the young people and all, basically all these horrible young people who hang around the city center streets. And I really admire what you're doing and so on. And I said, well, actually, we're here for you as well. And she got really angry. And I mean, she was really angry. She said, what do you mean you're here for me? I'm not like them. I'm a good person. I go to church. I don't do what they do. And um, I like an argument. So <laughs> we, um, I maybe shouldn't have said that she was worse than the young drug addicts who are hanging around the streets. But in a way, she was. Because she was absolutely relying on her good works. And she was not by any stretch of the imagination a holy person. Moralism, uh, holy, holiness, sanctification is not moralism. Sanctification is not superstition. Holy garments, holy oil, holy buildings. A superstitious religion is not from the heart nor of the spirit. And sometimes you really, really do have to get to that. Because we, for some reason... Human beings have a tendency to do that. Think of one uh, young man who was um, training to be a Roman Catholic priest. He came into our manse up in Broda, and we'd had communion. And he was, first of all, he was horrified that we drank the wine after the communion. We weren't going to throw it down the sink or anything like that. Or, in fact, maybe we did throw bits of it down the sink, and he was horrified at that. But even more, he was more horrified that we took the bread and turned it into toast and then spread butter on it. And he said, that's holy bread. That's the body of Christ. How could you do that? No, it's not. It's bread that we used in a ceremony that's now finished. And it's still bread, and we're not going to throw it away. We're going to put butter on it and cheese and so on, and we're going to eat it. It's not the body of Christ. But you see, he, he, his mouth was white. It's holy. It's holy. You can't do that. You can't touch that. It's a... It's a holy thing, a holy garment, a holy person, a holy building. No. That's superstition. In New Testament religion, you just do not find the word sanctified or holiness set upon buildings or garments or religious objects. It is about people and about how we relate to God. It's not hypocrisy. 2 Timothy 3 verse 5 speaks of those who have a form of godliness but deny its power. And Revelation chapter 3 verse 1 says, I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Jude talks about people being clouds without water. I think it would be fair to say that the sin that Jesus hates more than anything is the sin of hypocrisy. And how ironic that it's people who 
who pretend to be holy, who are probably the biggest hypocrites of all. Holiness is not hypocrisy. And then I, I put there the fourth one. It's a little bit more difficult, this idea. It's not common or restraining grace. And what we mean by that is some of us stay away from sin in case we are caught. Or some of us have a conscience which restrains us. But that's not really holiness. That's a very, sometimes it's a very negative thing. The only reason we don't do it is because we don't want to get caught. But holiness changes our hearts, drives out sin, and brings in righteousness. Okay, let's go on to the next one. What's the evidence for sanctification? Well, how do you know if you're sanctified? Is it one of those things like saying, how do you know if you're humble? The minute you say, I am humble, are you not by definition then saying that you're not really humble? Well, to look at what holiness is, let me suggest these five things. One of the most basics is in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things he had done, we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The evidence of sanctification is that there's something different about your life. There's something different about your desires. Just change, you're, you're changed. You're given a new heart and a new spirit. Now, you still have problems with, if you like, the old heart, the old man. But there's a, there's a desire. Something has changed. And I would dare to suggest this, that if, if nothing has changed, then it's very, very doubtful if you, if you are a Christian at all. Second thing is, the Spirit of God is within. That's the wonderful promise that's given in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus talks about throughout the Gospels, the promise of the Spirit. Holiness is not what we do in terms of religion. It's what God does within us. And that leads us to the third part, which is holiness leads us to a hatred of sin. You see, I can dislike sin because it gets me in trouble. I can dislike sin because it doesn't appear all that good but to actually hate sin. And here's an irony. You might feel I am not a Christian because I am such a bad person or because I'm aware of this depth of evil in my heart. And the irony is this, that you are more likely to be a Christian because you feel that. If you don't feel that, it's highly questionable whether you're a Christian. Highly questionable. As I said this morning, I'm reading Tim Keller's latest book on idolatry, and I've just just about an hour ago, I was upstairs there, and I wanted to read the last wee bit, and I read the last wee bit, and he said, a mature Christian is someone who realizes that they've never reached the bottom, that there's always deeper to go yet. And it's the classic way that he talks, Keller talks about how you are far, far worse than you think you are. Even those of you who've been Christians for a very, very long time, you might be thinking, yeah, I know what sin is, and I know that God hates sin, and I know how bad I've been, and how bad I am, and so on. And the answer is, no, you don't. Not really. You know something, but you haven't plumbed the depths. Not yet. But the thing about it is that you hate it. You hate the sin. You hate the sin within yourself. You have a loathing for it. Not a loathing of yourself, but a loathing of of the sin. But where Paul in Romans 7, and he's talking as a Christian, he says, 
the good I want to do, that I don't do, the evil I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. And he talks about it being, he's, he's like trapped in this body of death, and who's going to rescue him? And then he breaks into Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So, there's the paradox there. If a holy person is somebody who realizes how much of a sinner they are. A holy person is not someone walking around with a halo above their head and a white blanket or whatever saying, peace be with you, I am a very holy person. Yeah, that's a holy person is somebody who recognizes the depths of their own sin. Another evidence of holiness is um, a spiritual motivation for good. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You want to do good, not because you want to earn good points, but you want to do good because you love God because you have a desire for God. And that leads on to a holy life. 1 Peter 1, verses 14 to 15. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. They're still there. They're still there. Those evil desires will still battle against you till your dying day. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. A holy life is evidence of God at work within. Let's go on to the next one, please, Stephen. Why would we want to be sanctified? Well, let me give these five reasons. Uh, and basically, I'm just going to list them. One, it's God's will. Very straightforward. It's God's will that we should be holy, and that's the best thing possibly for us. Number two, it's why Christ died. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. See, that's why you keep, have to keep going to the cross. Because if you grasp why Jesus died and what he went through, and you realize then that it was for you and for you to be holy, every sin that you commit is like an arrow to your own heart. Because you are spitting on and insulting the cross and the one who died for you. It's why Christ died. Third one is, it makes us like God. Now, not in the sense, in the temptation that was for Adam in the Garden of Eden, but in the sense we are to be Christ-like. That's, by the way, a very good definition of holiness is being like Jesus. You get some Christians saying, I don't really want to be holy. You can be too holy for, you know. No, no. Can you be too like Jesus? No, you can't be too like Jesus. It's a great witness. Why should we want to be Sanctified, it's a great witness. Now, the wrong kind of holiness, false holiness, is an appalling witness. The sort of sanctimonious people are a really, really bad witness. But somebody who loves with the passion of Jesus Christ, someone who hates evil with the passion of Jesus Christ, someone who, who is not going to be drawn into sin and lying and all the rest of it, that is a tremendous witness. That's why people say things like, why are you so different? Not different in, an, in a horrible way, but why don't you do this? Why don't you behave in this way? 
I know for myself in terms of witness that I was really struggling against the idea of being a Christian. And I met a couple uh, who were at a Christian conference. It's kind of a long story about how I ended up there. I got tricked into going to a Christian conference by a well-meaning aunt and uncle. Um, terrible way to do evangelism. But anyway, um, I was really cynical about all the Christians who were at that conference, except for one young couple who uh, I got to know them, their attitudes and everything. I was so amazed. They didn't sleep together. They really loved each other. And they were about to split up for five years so that one can go and do mission work somewhere in the Philippines and another could go and look after a relative or do mission work in Canada or something. And I just thought, wow, you guys, you're so different. They weren't judgmental or sanctimonious. They, they didn't condemn me for not being a Christian. And they just made a huge impact on my life. It's a great, great witness. And I, I say to those who are in the Christian union here who are doing missions and all the rest of it, brilliant. Keep doing it. But please, be holy as you do so. And of course, it prepares us for heaven. Stephen, can we go on the next one? How do we get sanctification? Again, I'm just going to really just list these. Through the Word. Sanctify them, Jesus says, by the truth. Your Word is truth. You don't get holiness by sitting around saying, please make me holy. You don't get holiness by going to a desert island. You don't get holiness by singing special songs. You get holiness through the Word. You get holiness through the atonement. He purified their hearts by faith. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I heard um, just talking on the way in about uh, one of the events that we had or that was going on in the city with um, the joint Christian-Muslim thing, and uh, at least one of the events was a joint Christian-Muslim thing. And one of the things that disappointed me about it, and I'm going to say this because if you were there, um, you can correct me if this didn't happen, if this was wrong. But a prayer was made at the beginning of that meeting, and it was indicated that praying to Allah or praying to Yahweh, praying to God, it was the same. And afterwards, when the prayer was made, the Muslim professor stood up and said, well, that's exactly the prayer we would have made if we'd been Muslims. Someone stood up and said, it's a Christian, this is a Christian prayer, but we're all praying to the same God. And the Muslim professor stood up, and I thought, what is wrong with that? What's wrong with it is not the ethnic thing. What's wrong with that is not even the religious thing. I'll tell you what's wrong with that is you can't come to God without Jesus Christ. You can't. You can't be forgiven. You can't. There's just no way for that to happen. And what you are doing when you're teaching people that is you're taking them away from the very thing that can cleanse and can forgive. Holiness is done through the atonement and through the Spirit. Second Thessalonians 2.13, the sanctification of the Spirit, which I read uh, already. And through the church, we are saints. Now, there's a very interesting idea that people say, in order to be holy, I have to get away from Christians because they really annoy me or because they're not good for my sanctification or whatever. You don't get it. There's a, a man who thought that he would get really, really holy. He's called, I always get this wrong, I call him Simon the Stalagite, but he wasn't. It was Simon the something beginning with S. And he, he basically sat on top of a pole for 38 years. And I mean like 
not a person from Poland, but a, a big long stick. And he literally, he sat on top of this stick and people brought him food and passed up food to him. I'm assuming they took away the remains as well, but I mean, he just, he didn't come down off that stick for 38 years. And people would come and kind of admire him and say, whoa, what a saint, what a holy person. That's not how it works. You can sit on a stick all you want. It's still not going to make you holy. And you can go and do lots and lots of different things you want. It's still not going to make you holy. One of the things that's going to make you holy is by being with holy people. And believe it or not, that's us. Am I ashamed to say I'm a holy person? Am I, is that boasting? No, it's not. Because I'm a saint who's saved by God's grace. I couldn't believe when I listened to the radio this morning that um, there's a pilgrimage being reopened in Spain somewhere for people who want to go and visit the relics, supposed relic of St. James. And there was a Swedish lady who was doing the walk, and she says, it's wonderful, it's great, these things all stopped during the Reformation in Sweden, but now we're getting back to it. Isn't this fantastic? It brings you closer to God. No, it doesn't. You're walking through Spain, which may be extremely pleasant, a lot more pleasant probably than walking through the north of Sweden, where this lady is from, uh, in freezing cold. You're walking through Spain, it is extremely pleasant, but it doesn't bring you closer to God. You're going to see a bunch of bones that probably have nothing to do with James whatsoever. And even if they were, it wouldn't make one whit of difference to your life. Holiness comes through the church. Now, there's a lot of wrong things in the church, a lot of ugliness and a lot of badness, but you really need to look upon God's people and realize sometimes there's a holiness and there's a beauty there. I'll not embarrass anyone, but got a lovely letter from um, someone in the congregation this week. And I just thought, you know, this, like, when you get a letter, like, you think, I'm glad to be a Christian. I'm glad to know people like this. I, even, I thought that this morning when, when I looked out and saw you all and thought, yeah, I'm really glad to be part of this body of people. And I know you're sinners and we can list the sins and you know what I'm like. Well, partly. And that's, but we're, we're in it together. We're, we're saints together. Through prayer, of course, Psalm 51 verse 10, create in me a clean heart. That's how holiness comes. And I think holiness also comes through recognizing what we are. We are God's elect, as Peter puts it. We are the saints at Ephesus, as Paul writes to Ephesus. We're not going to be saints. We don't have to wait to be elevated. We don't have to die and then several hundred years later have several miracles done in our name. And then people say, oh, we can pray to them as a saint. Uh, I am a saint now. This is going to sound incredibly arrogant, but I am Saint David. And there's Saint Stephen, and you could have Saint Agnes, and Saint Joe, and Saint Andrea, and Saint whatever. You know, it's, that's the way it is. That's what God has done. That's how holiness operates. Stephen, was there one other, or is that me? That's me, okay. Um, sorry, I, uh, in my rush to come out, I left a couple of things at home. But please... Let me just apply this. If you're not a Christian, you can be holy through coming to know Jesus Christ. You will never come to know Jesus Christ by being holy because you just can't be holy. But you come to be holy by knowing Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian, then you are holy, but you can be more holy. You can progress in holiness. You can become more Christ-like. You can be more sanctified. Robert Murray McShane prayed, God, make me as holy as a sinner can be. Make me as holy as a sinner can be. That's a great prayer 
for us to pray. Okay, we're going to sing something, and then um, there's something I want to do before uh, we finish. We will pray, but we're going to sing See What a Morning. Uh, Is that right? Yeah. Which um, I love this song because it just talks to me not just of the resurrection, but also of what it's going to be like to, to be finally completely holy when all the sin and everything's taken away.